Hi, and welcome to the Slush Podcast. As you probably know, Slush is the world's leading startup event. You're about to hear an interview conducted at Slush 2017 on the Founder Studio stage, where the biggest names in tech sit down for an intimate Q&A. David Helgason founded a wonderful technology company called Unity Technologies, first as a CEO and now as a board member. Johanny Mykkänen interviewed him about democratizing game development. Uh, very much welcome. So, as, you, as, as we just met, went over, David is, has founded a multi-billion-dollar company, which is, you know, that's the most popular, you know, third-party game engine in the world. So, congrats on that. Thanks. It was hard. Yeah. Hey, just to make sure, kind of, everyone is on the same page about what we're talking about, because I hate like people sitting like 30 minutes and not quite knowing what's this about. So, game engine, like, can you just explain what does that do? So that we're on the same page. Sure. So it, it's it's sort of a piece of software that uh, you put on your computer and you open it up and then you sort of build a game or a 3D experience or a game-like thing or a simulation or a, a military preparation tool or a, or um, or a world for self-driving cars to learn from or like a thousand other use cases and then you press compile and you put it on like pretty much any sort of device that you can think of, like a mobile phone or a computer or a VR headset uh, or a server. Exactly. And and you guys are pretty good at what you're doing. So basically, like this year, there are 20 billion apps downloaded, which are built with Unity, right? Roughly. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, you guys are, you know, way more popular than any other engine. There's like in-house development, of course, but but you guys like 34% or something of, of games are made. Yeah, with, uh, so depending on where which part of the game industry you look, uh, our market share is sort of between 35% on mobile and something like uh, 90% on uh, in augmented reality glasses. Uh, so you guys like You're one of the co-founders, and you guys are now at like seventeen, eighteen hundred people, or something like that. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think it's like sixteen hundred something. Yeah, and I, I, I've heard like you know when you guys were growing, like you kind of started in a space where not many people, like in two thousand and five or something, and not many people were kind of building something like this. Uh, we actually started earlier. Like my co-founders were writing code as early as two thousand one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, right. Yeah. And then I was sort of invited to join the team, and and eventually they called me a founder. But I was sort of with them probably for a year before they really knighted me as a founder. Yeah. Uh, we were just coding stuff. Uh, we thought we were going to make games, uh, so we just built tools, and then we realized we were really shit at making games, uh, really, really bad. Uh, but then, but 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 the tools were somehow good. Uh, there was some flair, some passion that had gone into the tool that made it enjoyable to use. Um, so we decided that that would be our kind of calling. Yeah, and uh, what was the kind of thing that you guys got kind of got right that right now you are the most popular? What was the secret unity sauce? That sounds nasty, but yeah. So. Yeah. You could... Hmm, there's so, hmm, a good question. We We decided very early that we wanted to change the industry. Uh, the industry was very kind of closed and proprietary and the tools that you could buy were really expensive and you sort of had to call somebody and sort of explain that you were like a legit company and all this stuff. And 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 we were not like that. We were like idiots in a basement. So we're like, we want to open the industry to people like us. Uh, so we came up with a, a term, like a, a vision statement that it was democratized game development. And I've said it many times now, I feel almost trite at this point, but it was really a fresh breath of air for the industry. Uh, nobody had done that before. Um, 
and we sort of put our, I don't know what you call it, our legs where our mouths were, and kind of made a conferences and had a website where you could just download it, and there was a forum, and we participated in the forum, and we chatted with our customers about anything, and it was just a very kind of um, open thing. I, I think that was really the key of it. Like, I, I often claim that it was the vision statement that created the company, although, of course, the vision statement didn't come first. Um, so, uh, how about for your own role? Like you used hmm. to, uh, as for a few years ago, you you quit being the CEO, but you were the CEO for like twelve years. And I was just at a party with with someone who kind of has worked with you, and 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 she went that you know David was the best CEO ever. How come you're not the CEO anymore? What happened, man? <laughs> so so. Uh I was kind of initially just a programmer with the other guys, and then you know at some point I was like the person who was more social and more interested in business. So I, I sort of started taking that role, and I fortunately we grew really slowly, so I had time to learn uh, on the job, and I had times so when I was a really good CEO, and 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 whoever you talk to seems to remember that, which is very kind of her. Uh, I was also a shitty CEO at times. Tell us about that. That's <laughs> interesting. Let's do that afterwards. I mean, not afterwards, afterwards, but in a second. Sh share one. One good and one bad moment. Let's go. Yeah, so um, a lot of the time, I was just kind of somebody who was running with the team. We had already set the vision. We were going to democratize game development. I didn't have to invent that many times. It was a one-off, one and I didn't do it myself. It was a collaborative effort. Um, and then I sort of ran with the team, and I, I sometimes felt like a, like a sheepdog, <laughs> you know, I'm from Iceland, so I have visuals of that. And like the sheepdog dog doesn't run sort of in front or in the back. He sort of runs around. And he sort of, sometimes he's in front, sometimes he's in back. You know, sometimes he's yelping a bit. You know, sometimes he's kind of, you know, just like patting people on the shoulder and, and sitting with them and this discussing. This should be a game. This sounds like a good game concept. <laughs> <laughs> you know, often I would just go from desk to desk and I'd just sit with whoever was there and just debate their work and ask them questions and try to understand it and just sort of influence them a little bit. Like, maybe you should think about this and then leave and not come back for a month. And, and I think those were some of my best times. Um, at, at some point when we had gotten to like 30 people, that didn't scale. And I turned out to be a really shitty CEO for quite a while um, because, you know, that wasn't working and there was no formal communications in the company and, and people started just sort of being confused. The good thing is, they still knew what the mission statement was, so we didn't actually lose a lot of time. Uh, they kept sort of working, doing really great work. But as a company, we were sort of uh, rudderless for a few months. Yeah. Were you, like, were you the first, first one to say, like, maybe it's time to give rooms for somewhere else? Or was it the Steve Jobs kind of situation that they started pushing you out and kind of Yeah, no, no, this, this, this story is way before I stepped back. So, so I, found my, oh, yeah, okay. I found my bearings again. At, at around 60 people, we got together, me and my co-founders, and like, this is a problem. We acknowledged the problem. And, uh, and we decided that we're going to work on it. And we came up with a process where we'd have a bit more formal communications. We'd have a weekly uh, leadership meeting of two hours. <laughs> That was actually the real trick. Uh, once we had that, and a Google Doc where we just took notes, like an endless doc, um, things started flowing again, and, and we sort of hit our stride. And the next few years were amazing, and we grew from like you know 30 people to 60, found our stride, and grew to 500 people. Um, really kind of really closely following our vision, uh, being very true to our roots and our community. And at 500 people, it's a big company, and. Uh, I won't say I, I, I don't. I think I don't think I'd failed at that point. I would have failed later, uh, but fortunately, we had the foresight 
together. It was very much uh, something I championed uh, to take a guy that I'd gotten to join the board, John Recitella, who was amazing, um, and was working very closely with me. He had run really big companies before, but really believed in the vision and, and was very passionate about building a tech company well, which means like hiring great engineers and letting them do their thing and not being too centrally governed and so on. Um, so we decided it was a great time to switch, uh, which it turned out to be. Like he's, yeah. he's done an amazing job and I really love working with him. Yeah. Um, had I stayed on a year or two later, who knows what the <laughs> fuck would have happened. It might not have been pretty, by the way. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about Unity a bit more. So like you guys, you know, games that run on like V, Oculus Rift, PS3, PS4, like Xbox, OS 10, PC, like, like you name it. Like it's 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 people develop uh, on top of Unity or with with Unity on all the platforms. And you mentioned you have a niece who's like 11, and she learned this during a summer, like to develop. Yeah, she took like a one-week summer course, and she learned yeah. Unity. She's not 11 anymore. She's like yeah, yeah, 15, yeah. but exactly. And then you have like some huge, for example, the all-time most downloaded game. Subway Surfers, which is, is is built on Unity, so yeah, by two students originally. Yeah. <laughs> so like, but how do you guys like the way I've understood this works is like if you're your niece or if you're like EA or Blizzard, you can get the same thing out of the box, right? Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's, that's really like cool. Awesome. <laughs> and has there been like some temptation not to have it like that? That like are these big companies who use you guys? Do they say can we get like some special treatment because we are you know this and this? So yeah, so so figuring out how to balance. A free tool for most people, um, you know, uh, not quite free tool, like a cheap tool for like sort of independent professional small companies, and then making it expensive enough for the large companies that you can sort of balance the books. Um, you know, it's taken a long time to learn. Um, and yes, the big companies want special treatment, um, but that special treatment must be done pr profitably. So we can put the profits from that special treatment into the core engineering and make make it better for everyone. And I know I, th I think we found a really good way of doing that. Oh, that's that's, that's uh, I, I, and that, that makes sense. Hey guys, do remember uh, you know I'm a talkative person, and it's always David. But you guys are here, so you can ask questions. So like, there's a catch box. Oh, we have a question right here. Can we get the catch box in the front row with the girl with the superhero shirt? She is an actual superhero. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I love to hear your story. And I have one question, David. Um, like, when you were, um, do you remember the first time you sold your product? Like, can you tell us about how it happened? The, the first time we sold the product? Yeah, the first time ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like just making the first sale. Yeah. Yeah. How was um, it? Yeah. I mean, there's sort of two stories I could tell about that. Uh, one, when we opened the web store and uh, we were um, at Worldwide Developer Conference where we launched the product. And I stayed at home in the office because uh, we had the Mac Mini server with a store on it that I had programmed myself, I think. And, um, and I, I wanted to be close to the server in, in, in case it like, went down with the volume of sales. <laughs> and then like 24 hours later, the first sale happened. <laughs> um, that was an exciting moment. A little bit, little bit disappointing, though. <laughs> um, but then like, maybe the other story is when, when we started finding these customers that would pay us a lot more. Um, and, and you know the, the realization that you know so a company would have paid a hundred thousand dollars, and you know the realization that this could work, um, and um, yeah, I, I sort of tear up when I think back <laughs> that moment when, when we sort of started seeing this is a real business and it can sustain itself, and then it was like four, no, three more years in the desert before we actually got a salary. <laughs> it took a very long time, uh, but yeah, no man, it's it's yeah, it's 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 hard building things and. Uh, we were lucky that we failed to raise venture capital. 
Uh, I'm actually a big proponent of venture capital, but we were so inexperienced that, and I know the only the, the, all, all, the only venture capitalists that would talk to us at the time were really bad. So I'm sure together we would have like completely destroyed the company. Uh, instead, we sort of stayed in the basement and sort of learnt learnt the slow way, which benefited us. Okay, yeah. Just raise your hand, and someone will throw you the cash book. Uh, oh, yeah. there's questions in the third row. Two people. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned going from 50 employees to 500. So, what were the big challenges and the keys to solving them? I, I think anyone who has sort of been part of anything uh, like a growing company, like, will tell you that it happens in sort of uh, fits and starts. So, you'll have like a, a period of time when things are easy, and you add a person to the team, and it just naturally flows. And then you, there's a moment where like you add one person, and like the whole thing seems to break down. Um, and when you go from like, well, let's say, you know, 15 or, well, let's just three to, to 1,600, you'll have many of those moments. Um, there isn't like a, there isn't an easy answer to this. I think you're just, you realize you have to build processes and you realize that you have to have systems in place and, and even rules and regulations. And I think um, we did this intuitively early on, but we, I, I later read it as a thing that you want to, seed that ground very reluctantly, I think is, is, is the best way to say it. You, you want to avoid process as much as you can until you cannot not have it. And then you want the people who are actually like the most frustrated uh, by the lack of process to sort of implement the process themselves. So it doesn't come centrally, so it doesn't come from above, because then you're certain to get it wrong. I mean, these people will also get it wrong, but at least they will know when it's wrong and they can sort of fix it. Um, and, and I'm just a general believer in like a lot of autonomy of individuals and teams, uh, and I think that's really served us well. Uh, you know, we were found, like my, my company was founded by three programmers who really had no interest in managing people, and were also pretty bad at it. Uh, even at the end of my time as CEO of Unity with 500 people, I was still a kind of a shitty manager and not a good sort of HR person. Um, so, so, so the the. The solution to this was not to manage anyone. Uh, and of course, this doesn't work. Uh, but it worked really far. And, and I think it's been healthy for the company to have that kind of feeling, uh, well, actual actuality of autonomy. Um, eventually, that had to change. And it's changing slowly. And I, I don't think we've overreached. I think there's still a, a lot of freedom in the company. Cool. Uh, yeah. Next question. OK, so um, during this process where you were Walking in the desert, uh, were there many times where you were thinking about just throwing in the towel and just giving up? Um, almost never, um, because we were so in love with the idea of what the product could do that although it couldn't do it, <laughs> like we can make it work. Um, so very early on, we we sort of had this um, I don't know realization, or we we fell in love with the idea that that uh, tools change industries. And we're no historians of technology, but we could sort of see fairly clearly that the music industry had been changed by the tools, by the four-track recorder. Uh, if you know how music recording was done before that, it was like you had a big room and like the musicians were spaced apart and you were recording it all at the same time and it cost a lot of money. And then one day you could do it all by yourself in a basement. And you know the cost came down by like a hundredfold which meant like a hundred times more people could do it. And it didn't just make music cheaper to produce. It, it produced all kinds of music that wouldn't have been produced otherwise. 
and we got rock and roll and, and the whole the whole lot. And and we then noticed that oh the same had happened to the to 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 film and to video, uh, where like the the DV camera brought literally the cost of producing film down by a hundred times because of the you know you didn't have to have the celluloid and the cutting and all the shit. Um, so we were like maybe that same thing could be done to games, um, which maybe is a tenuous idea, but but it actually worked. And we're so in love with it, yeah, that we just never wanted to give up. Um, we were also lucky that we had no real costs. We didn't, you know, well, I, at least two of us didn't have children. <laughs> I don't actually understand how the third one managed. Uh, it still shocks me a bit. And, 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 um, and we just sort of, you know, I ate kebab every year, for th every day for three years, basically. Um, but yeah, we somehow made, made it work. Yeah, you Maybe a segue from that, you mentioned having kebab two years straight. Uh, so again, you're a founder of a multi-billion dollar company. What's it like to have money? <laughs> um, I mean, building a company and all that stuff never gets easier. Like, because, you know, whatever success you had in the past, now people just expect more of it in the future. Uh, but the food gets better. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I'm not very materialistic, but I like good food and good wine, so that, you know, that's, it's nice to have that opportunity. Um, yeah. Uh, no, the, I, the, the other thing I, I like doing and I really, really enjoy is actually taking little dollops of this uh, and, 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 and putting it to work with, with really smart entrepreneurs. So I, I have this kind of platonic and hopefully non-creepy uh, you know, love affair with, uh, with the entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem. Uh, which is really fun, and I get to spend a lot of time with amazing entrepreneurs who are building good things, and you know I can give them some advice. Advice is hard to give and hard to receive, so money is easier to give and easier to receive. So it's sort of easier to work with when you have a bit of cash. Yeah, so that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, sure. Hey, can we get the mic here in the front row? Yeah. Uh, since you mentioned investments, I'm really curious about your take on the near and long-term future of virtual reality and, and augmented reality. I assume, and since you also said you're an active investor, that probably you know a lot more than many of us do here. So if you can tell us a little bit about sort of what you're thinking when you're assessing ideas, what gets you really excited about those two uh, industries? VR... VR has let us down. <laughs> it has. I mean, when, when, when Oculus was announced with a Kickstarter, you know, I, I was in that video, the, the presentation video, saying how much, how excited I was about it. Because it was amazing. The first time I tried Oculus, and it was like put together with gaffer tape, and it was really shitty, but it was awesome. And I wanted to stay in there for the rest of my life. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's not done that well. And, and it's painful uh, to watch. You know, even... Uh, even you know, one of the companies that was really investing in it, uh, CCP, they pulled out their VR investments. They, you know, they killed their VR projects, which is super rational of them. <laughs> and I really get why. They're good friends of mine, and they were like, yeah, that's, that's the thing to do. You want to take care of your company first. Um, I believe in the long-term viability of VR, and, and as VR and augmented reality AR sort of become the same thing, because you have cameras or see-through, uh, and, and it becomes more porous to the real world, and it sort of becomes layers of information and additional sort of, well, augmented reality. Uh, I think it will be a big thing. I cannot see a long-term future where that is not the fact. Can you, um, 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just just like fill us in a bit here, like fill us in a bit, uh, because like I think many people have that great first experience with Oculus like you did, and now people are pulling off investments. So like what happened in between? I think honestly we didn't find a great way for people to use it. Uh, you know, it's still clunky. Um, it's still this weird thing where you go away from the real world for quite a while. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Like being blind and deaf is not comfortable to a lot of people. I mean, some of us would like to live our lives like that, but most people turn out not to do that. Um, doing it in social settings, doing it at work, it's weird. Um, if you have like a, you know, a space this big in your basement, uh, that's cool. You can lock the door and like you're pretty safe there. Um, and then we didn't f somehow find like really awesome. I mean, we felt early that that film in VR was going to be really exciting, and there are some really exciting projects. But doing it at scale, producing at scale, it hasn't worked. I mean, like, yeah, we just haven't figured it out. I think. Um, are you familiar with the Finnish company Vario? Uh, with I, I, I'm a very excited investor in that company. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, what, what do you think? Like these guys, what they're trying to do is is basically a super like very high resolution version of of, of VR using like very high tech, uh, you know, hi, you know, more, the most modern technology there is. And these, some people are saying they kind of just jumped twenty years in development uh, time. So what do you think? So the first time I heard about them and met them, I was really not excited. I, I was uh, I was very certain this was not a good idea um, because if you think about you're building hardware. Um, you can buy like cheap components or more expensive components or really expensive components, right? So this defines like a price performance curve, right? And you can pick any point you want. And there's nothing innovative about picking a different point than the other guys, right? So this, this is how I was not excited by them. Then I started spending time. I understood that by going so far into the future, by picking really expensive components and making it's an expensive thing, um, they are, I think, we think, they think, you know, seeing so much further down the path where the development, where the technology is going to go. And by doing that, they're doing R&D sort of significantly ahead of time of other people. I believe they're patenting some of that path and being careful about how they build their IP. And I think that once the rest of VR gets there in some years, uh, these guys will be significantly ahead and have really, really strong kind of knowledge and IP. And that's what makes me excited. Also, uh, uh, genius Willem Jettinen is sort of coding for them a bit <laughs> and you know my my investment strategy is if Ville is involved I invest yeah I've, I've heard other people say the same he's, he's a great guy um, do you have any questions yeah here uh, yeah thank you for sharing um, uh, you know insights my, my question is um, do you still think it's a good idea to start just a normal VR company basically experiencing the hangover People pulling investments, the talks with VCs getting a lot harder. Because, I mean, you, you basically just said that you're thinking of two, three, four, five years ahead. And for that, you need to raise a lot of money. And you need to maybe give up a lot of shares for your company. So would you agree that it's still a good time now? I think at this point, starting a VR company, like a content, like yes, an entertainment yes, exactly. company, yeah. at this point, you could almost call it a contrarian strategy. Uh, and therefore, it's like it's sort of a high risk, high reward. I can't judge where it's going to fall out. But if you do it, you wanna, there's a few things that you want to do. You want to make sure that you have really good technical people. And, and you want to be thinking quite far ahead. You want to be sort of leaning 
into you know where it's going to be in three years rather than like del delivering something next quarter. But that's not the like MVP Eric Rice way, you know. M it's not an MVP way. It's like a make no. I it think you want to be before you actually start. I think way. you should. I think you should be thoughtful. Um, and the other thing is, you probably nah. I don't know. Yeah, no. That's that's the best advice you can give. Um, I'm pretty sure that some VR companies that are being started now will be quite successful in a few years. So it's not like somebody's going to make it work. Um, but it's going to be a hard road. Thank you. I, I wish it wasn't like that. Question here is, well, <clears throat> So um, last year you announced Nordic Makers. It's really good, um, good thing to have in the Nordic region. So what are your learnings after first year in Nordic Makers? So yeah, so so a year ago we announced a group of uh, business angels, uh, sort of roughly ten people uh, that have created companies worth roughly ten billion dollars. It's good, good, good line. It's actually more now. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we you know we, we'd already been doing angel investing individually, and we decided that by sort of putting our resources together, we could make it better. Um, initially, we were doing quite a lot of small deals, and one of the things we learned is that we needed to kind of put more. But you say wood behind the arrows, you know. So, so we're doing somewhat fewer deals, but larger. So we want to invest like at least half a million euro per deal, because otherwise, you know, the company is still fundraising and sort of frustrating, um, you know, frustrating amount of money to put it like 150k in. Um, we, um, I can't say we've learned like how to make it successful. I think we've done some really good deals, but you know, in investment, in, in investing years, like. Uh, investing time a year is like nothing, and we'll know in five, seven years if we were good or not. Uh, I have a lot of venture capital and angel investor friends, and it's a very frustrating craft <laughs> because you just don't know. But no, I, th I think I think we've done well, and and like we're interested in companies that can benefit from half a million to a million euro, that are building something interesting technically, have a great team, um, and are sort of in this region broadly defined. So come to hit us up if you have something amazing. Cool, thanks. Was that um, too salesy? <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, let's play a game. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll say a few names. Other people who have built companies than yourself, and you just tell what comes to your mind. Okay. Uh, cool. Uh, Elon Musk. Whoa. <laughs> um, he's a hero to a lot of us. Um, we also, if you've heard sort of some of the stories from his earlier time, like, you know, he's not always been truthful. Like, I mean, he's... He's a guy who drives, he flies very close to the envelope of whatever he does. I respect that a lot. Uh, I think, I think he's, he makes the world a better place by inspiring all of us. I really do. Do you buy in the theory that he might be a tra time traveler from the future? <laughs> no, no, because if, 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 if he was, he would have done things better. <laughs> <laughs> cool, okay. Uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> he's an entrepreneur. Yes, there's an entrepreneur. Fuck. I, I just I just don't know what to say. What a tragedy <laughs> of global proportions. No, I mean like seriously, this may be the single Tagline thing. For a film, yeah. This may be the single thing that puts the world over the edge of destruction. It may be. I don't think so. Um, I think he's he's been beneficial in one way. He's pushed the whole world to the left, <laughs> for which I'm very thankful uh, because. All the fucking right-wing people that like might have aligned themselves with him, I mean, they're not getting any any value from that. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I think that w whenever he comes to an end, however, uh, 
there'll be a big pendulum swing to the other side, which is going to be very good. Uh, and maybe that strength of that pendulum swing will be uh, enough to save the Earth. But I'm not sure. I love how the music started playing, like, what a tragedy, and then all this, like, from the background. We need, like, a wind okay, machine. Uh, okay, 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 two more, two more. Uh, Ariana Huffington. Actually, I know very little about her. Um, <laughs> actually, I know very little about her. Um, so when you say the name, the thing that comes to mind is the moment when Uber <laughs> is having an all-staff meeting after they outed Travis and Ariana and this other board member, I don't remember the name, they're talking about inclusiveness and diversity, and the other board member makes like a very, very sexist joke on stage. So like, for 20 minutes, don't say anything sexist. <laughs> and he did, and he was out of the company. So, no, which is a good thing, right? Uh, it's a good thing to out that shit. So, on that, like, I think, I think we're having a fantastic swing uh, to a good place with the Me Too and all this stuff. So I really think our industry will be better off. Yeah. Maybe permanently after the uh, you know, after this kind of the painful uh, events of the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, our time is about up. One last question. You still have probably one hundred good years to go. What would you like to have read on your tombstone? I don't really care. <laughs> I'll be dead. <laughs> cool. Hey, David Helgas on everyone. Let's give a big hand. Thanks so much. Uh, honor having you. Thanks, man. Thanks. This is really incredible. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Slush Podcast. Find out more about Slush at slush.org. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't yet done so, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>